Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. As always, every week, I want to start this episode with gratitude. And what I mean by that is I want to thank you for your continued support, no matter how small or big it is. If it means sharing an episode online or by telling your family and friends about the podcast. And of course, the most important thing, subscribing to the podcast. I really appreciate it as you are the reason why I'm continuing this project. Also, if you want to reach out, please check my social media accounts at An Immigrant's Life on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com if you want to come on the podcast or if you know someone that wants to be a guest on the podcast, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Now, let's talk about the episode. This week's episode is a story of survival and redemption through the power of art. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode, so let me cut to the chase. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a visual artist and an activist. He absorbs energy from his culture and he dedicates his life to his community. Everyone, please welcome David Young Kim. Hey, how's it going? How you doing, man? Thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking me on here. Oh, of course. It's a pleasure. When I saw your artwork there that you put, that actually, shout out to Christian Kabuai. I saw he posted your artwork. I'm like, yo, that is cool. And I need to talk to this cool guy. <laughs> yeah, Chris, Christian's awesome. Yeah, definitely helped me out. That's amazing. That's amazing. Before we get into deep, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. That's probably my most updated social media. It's um, at at Dave Young Kim. And then I have a collective that I founded, co-founded, and that's uh, KAA Collective, uh, Korean American Artist Collective at, at on Instagram at KAA Collective. Mm, I saw that. What do you mean by collective? Collective, you know, it's a little bit hard to define. And we're actually trying to figure it out ourselves. What the relationship is between um, uh, working artists, actually. So we're all working artists. We're all uh, our, our commonalities. We're all Korean American um, active artists, pra- practicing artists. And um yeah, it's a you know, as someone who's leading the project, it's a little bit hard to figure out how to most effectively get artists together and think about what kind of projects we have to do and things like that. But but yeah, we're we're basically a, a community of artists trying to do things together with a common mission and common goal. Mm. So yeah, the different projects. We're promoting each other, helping each other, you know. Yeah. I like it. I like it. But do you guys collaborate too? Yeah, we've collaborated on the past. We did a project called the Chung Project, and Chung is like this Korean concept of like it's 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 a it's hard to explain as many uh, concepts are into like American culture, but um, 
it's like a feeling of love or feeling a closeness to somebody. It's not, it's not romantic though. It's like, um, you know, it's relational. It's between, um, unrelated people. Um, it could be with related people, but it's, um, it's not romantic though. That's for sure. It's platonic love. Yeah. It's platonic love. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Platonic is probably the closest way to put it. Um, but, uh, yeah, after the massacres in Atlanta, uh, we got, um, I think it was about 25 Korean American women and non-binary artists. And we launched a project, their portfolio. Each person wrote an essay or a poem, or if they're visual, they submitted a visual piece. And then we, we, we bound it into this, um, folder and then we wrapped it in like a traditional Korean cloth called Pojagi. And, and so that was like a actual like collaborative project that we um issued out yeah so mm, we've done those things like that yeah it was very powerful yeah it was, it was a response to a tragedy and asian hate and yeah it was very powerful i wasn't i helped organize it but i i didn't obviously i'm not a a woman or non-binary so i didn't i didn't participate personally but yeah i mean you're still an artist you can still say something in your through your art yeah yeah but it, but it was uh it was specifically to because the the victims were all women asian american women so mm. we thought it was most appropriate that asian american women respond to it so yeah but i was happy to help organize it and 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 put it together and you know uh definitely be in the background hell yeah man hey somebody has to make sure the project's going yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely, yeah. Running this collective, yeah, it's the behind the scenes is is definitely essential. So, yeah, mm -hmm, definitely. So, I did some background on you, originally from LA, but now lives in Oakland. Before you, no, moved... I actually moved back to. Sorry, I should clarify. I actually moved back to LA now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how so? Uh, just like four years ago, I, I moved back because my family's still here, and okay. and you know I have the kids and everything now. So different, um, you know, I'm older, different stage in life. Wanted to be closer to the family. Wanted to help out my parents. Um, different, you know, different priorities. Mm -hmm. Oakland was fun, but um, yeah, I lived in the Bay all my adult life. So I've never lived back in LA as an adult until now. Wow! Because I left at 17 after high school. How do you find LA now? um well well you know it's that question is always hard because um you know i was a teenager back then you know i was getting in trouble it was a whole different different even like even if the city didn't change the aspects that i was interested in as a teenager were different right so mm. but now i'm an adult the, in, the things that interest me Actually, I'm not even like, I don't even go to the things that interest me because I have kids. So it's mostly about the kids, right? <laughs> so it's not even about me, first of all. It's about the kids. And second of all, the city's changed so much on top of that. So uh, it's a very difficult uh, uh, question to answer because it's just so many things, you know, just perspective. I'm older. My priorities are different. The city itself is different. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, you know, uh, 17 and, you know, four, like, like like almost 30 years later right so it's crazy hmm. yeah no not 30 but like 25 years later yeah okay that's perfect it's it's, uh, it's crazy you know yeah 
but it, I like it. LA is cool. I live by the beach now. So, um, you know, I lived in the hood and, and like, I shouldn't call it the hood, but it was a very, um, active neighborhood in West Oakland. Um, when we had our first kid and, you know, we were very sort of intentional about being there. Um, lots of activity, you know, drugs and shootings and stuff. And, and now we live by the beach. So definitely a change of scenery too, you know? Yeah. yeah. Hey man, once those kids comes up, man, you got to find some peace and safety. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's that too. Total different change of like scenery as well. Mm. So yeah. You mentioned that you got in trouble when you were younger. Let's get into that. I heard you got into a Filipino gang. Yeah. Jump locks. You know, jump lock? I know the word. Yeah, the word. Yeah, that's what I but mean. But yeah. I don't know what the gang is. I kind of read a, lot, a little bit about it because of you. But how can a Korean man get into a Filipino gang? Uh, well, it's actually very common in LA. A lot of Filipinos and Koreans kind of, you know, same, similar circumstances led us to America, you know, US sort of colonial situation and, you know, um, imperial situation kind of ultimately led our families to move here, immigrate here, you know, roughly around the same time. Filipinos a little bit sooner than us. I mean, Filipinos have a long history in America, but but the but the the more recent massive influx was very similar to the Koreans. Um and then um, you know, I think we settled in the same sort of neighborhoods in LA and we we crossed paths a lot and sort of similar maybe social economic background. So um and I think because Filipinos are here a little bit before us, uh, they're facing the same challenges as us, but they, they've, you know, which is like violence. It's still LA was like gang capitals. It was the height of gangs at, in the nineties. So, um, you know, you're a minority, you're not Mexican, you're not, uh, you know, you're not Latino, you're not white. So you don't fit anywhere. You're trying to assimilate you're, you're, you're latchkey because your parents are busy trying to settle in. Right. And so, um, you know, you get punked all the time. So you take on the culture LA and you form your gangs and that's what the Filipinos did. And then we came just a little bit after and the Filipinos kind of bore the brunt of it and started the gang. So we joined, we joined the Filipino gangs. It was almost too natural, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how it happens. It was, it was, there's a lot of Koreans and Filipino gangs at the time. There were Korean gangs also. Um, but yeah, I'm very familiar with, Filipinos because I grew grew up with so many of them. It's you know so yeah mm. that's that's LA LA is like that. It's, it was a melting pot and you know it's it's all true, mm -hmm. and that's why you get we had a lot of Mexicans in the in Jeff Fox too. Really? Mexicans, yeah. So when uh, I read this, I'm like, how like cause me you know thinking like okay, it's a Filipino gang. It has to be just Filipinos, you know, like the other no one's going in. Yeah, I mean, it's majority Filipinos started out Filipino, like majority Filipino. But um, yeah, if you go back another generation before myself, it would be almost 100% Filipino or maybe like 80%. Uh, There's still a lot of Latinos actually the generation before. But uh, and then when you come to my generation, it's like 50% Filipino and like a lot of the Mexicans, a lot of Koreans. Really? Uh, yeah, if you go to the valley, which is north of LA. Yeah, we had Armenians, black dudes, uh, like a little couple of white dudes. Um, it was very, very diverse. 
again, it, it, it's like it was there in the perfect moment in a perfect situation. You know, gangs are all about belonging. So mm. um, it's it becomes your pseudo family and, you know, your pseudo point of power and protection and uh, ability to fight back, ability to stand up for yourself. And so um, if you're an outlier in the world and you're looking for that, you need that, then, you know, you're welcome in essentially. Right. So, you, you know, so if you're even if you're white or black and you're 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 getting punked out there and, you know, you happen to live in this neighborhood or go to high school with a bunch of Jeff Rocks and you'll probably join Jeff Rocks, you know, to find that belonging. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So how do you join in? <laughs> I mean, different ways. I think um, <laughs> some people get forced in. I think mostly you have a relationship. I mean, there are lots of ways, but um, like there used to be like a tagging crew, like little junior high kids. They used to kind of hang out with us. And then, you know, when there's like, when they become, when they, when they elevate to high school, you know, they, they, because there's a relationship and they're older now and they want to get a little bit more serious about the streets, then, you know, we bring them in. Me, I uh, went to um, elementary school with a lot of the guys who ended up joining in, in high school. And so, um, at this point, I didn't live in LA. I lived in a suburb of LA, but I uh, kept in touch with them. And I came to LA every weekend. And so, um, yeah, through that relationship, my old friends from elementary school um, started hanging out with the guys in the neighborhood. We call it the neighborhood. And, you know, one day we were just hanging out and one guy just socks me in the face. <laughs> and then they all jump me. They all jump me. Yeah, we're in someone's backyard. And then and then uh yeah and then uh before i know it i'm 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 in and then uh yeah we go out looking for some sort of rivals right then they threw me in a trunk and i'm like <laughs> sick because i'm so beat up and um because there's no room in the car and i'm like the the lowest on the totem pole at that point so they're like <laughs> go in the trunk i'm just rolling around like like i'm gonna puke and then um it's a little bit the details are a little bit hazy but yeah, and then later we go to a bowling alley that's in our neighborhood, and then they burn me with a cigarette. And yeah, I think that's I think that's that's basically how it happened. Yeah, so it's a little bit of time, a little bit of hanging out, and then you hang out enough, you're like, all right, we're gonna bring this guy in. Did you know the time that you're gonna get jumped? I did not. No, we were just hanging out, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, what up side, some guy just punches me like on my face across my face oh and then all the guys they they probably planned it mm -hmm. but i did, i had no idea because i've hung out with them before mm -hmm. so i just thought we were just hanging out again right but um yeah there's no permission <laughs> there's no asking for you know there's no asking there's no form formality to it mm -hmm. the formality I is the violence the jump in yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up in the Philippines and I grew up, unfortunately, grew up in like a, you know, a rough neighborhood too. And that's, there was like gangs, like street gangs in my area too. And that's what they do too. They jump them. They just jump you in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 I, I never join in because it's it's not my thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and it's most of the main the main guys are my cousins, so they don't let me go in. Oh, uh, okay. So you got, you got, yeah, you had, you're lucky. You had familial protection. 
exactly you know so they always say like hey no 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 you stay in school we got you well that's good because sometimes you know a lot of times family is how you get in but you had protective family so that's actually great Mm -hmm. well no they choose you like if if they don't if they knew you're a troublemaker they'll let you in but if they knew you're like ah this guy is like you know he's like he's like a school guy kind of like a you know no one touches me exactly you You could you could do well for yourself and and succeed in life they're like we don't want to ruin his life right exactly that's how it was so i could pretty much do whatever i want and you know be friends with everyone i try to be friends with even the other gangs but god god forbid something happens to me those guys are coming yeah 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 that's cool so you got the benefit of them but you didn't have to join yeah yeah exactly Yeah, yeah yeah You don't have to tell me like details, but what kind of troubles did you get into? Did you have to do like what crimes? Um, well, you know, that's a good question because it's funny because I was actually just at a funeral for one of the guys this oh. weekend. And so I saw a bunch of those guys and uh, I hadn't I only kept in touch with a handful of them. So it was very um, interesting meet, seeing a bunch of guys I didn't keep in touch with who were who I remember from the from the time. And there was a bunch of youngsters too that I never met before. Mm. They still look like gangsters. They walked in with shaved heads and lokes and baggy clothes. And like, and I was like, who are these? Who, who is this gang that just walked in? Because you know, we're all old now and we don't we don't look anything like that anymore. <laughs> um, and it turned out they were like the newest generation that, you know, they weren't mm. active, but they just still look like that. But uh, even when I was talking to the guys my generation, they were um, still talking about the cases they were catching and trying to dodge like jail and stuff. Just it followed them all all this time in life, you know. Wow. Um, you know, talking about some of our old friends who are still locked up for life and like mm-hmm. kind of doing bad like mentally and stuff. But so I was lucky because I moved. My parents moved me to, like I said, to a suburb of LA. So as a teenager, it was hard to get to L.A., LA like the mid- mid-city, like middle of L.A., mm. L.A. proper. Um, but I would go every weekend because my parents have business here. And eventually, you know, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. I was like at 15. I was like, let's go. Like I already took my driver's test. You know, as soon as I could get my driver's license, I wanted to just be in L.A. to be in the mix. Uh, the suburb was so comparatively boring and as a teenager, you know, so it was, it was like white and like, so there's nothing going on, you know, um, nothing dangerous, nothing that got my adrenaline going, felt exciting. Um, so, so I think what that did was it kept, it kept me out of trouble, essentially. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I had it like, I, I never, I never shot anyone. Mm. Let's just say that. But, you know, we did everything that you can think of. Basically, mm. those guys are doing it all. But um, I think I was very fortunate. I think if my parents didn't move me to the suburb, then I would I could have easily gotten killed or, or locked up the same. But just because I was there only 25 uh, percent of the time, I, I, I didn't do anything. I mean, I did a lot of graffiti. We had a neighborhood. You, if as soon as you enter certain streets, like our graffiti's everywhere, so so you go, oh, I'm entering, I'm clearly entering 
you know, JFX neighborhood, like this is their turf. Mm. So we I do a lot of graffiti, got in a couple fights, you know, got arrested for stupid stuff, um, trying to rob people and stuff like that. Oh um, you know, I had a gun, but I never, mm. um, yeah, it's a little bit tricky to talk about also because um, those guys, like I said, they're actively dealing with that stuff so mm. no um, you, i don't want you to get in trouble obviously i was yeah just, yeah I, yeah i was uh, just asking but are you yeah, still yeah. a member do you get out or can you even get out um yeah you can get jumped out some guys got jumped out but i guess you're sort of it's sort of defunct so you're sort of in it for life at this point mm. like like you went to the college and you're alumni now so you're like <laughs> part of it forever you know you're yeah, an alum yeah. you went to that school so you're in it unless you um unless you like dropped out of the college before you finished. So mm. that's like the equivalent of getting jumped out. Like that's the formal way to exit. So they'll beat you up again so you can get out. Yeah. They'll beat you up again so you can get out. Yeah. Wow. You said you moved. Did you go to school there in the suburbs? I did, yeah. I went to middle school and high school there, yeah. And you said that majority is white were you like the most roughest guy there no one messes you no i wasn't i wasn't um no i mean there's still like you know there's always like the group of troublemakers so naturally i latched onto them but um you know i think i'm a i'm a nice guy at heart so uh yeah i think everyone has a potential to to do uh unthinkable things if you put in that situation so i think you know i'd be down like i'd be down to do it like i'd be down to roll and do whatever like the guys wanted me to do but um like my personality wasn't like f you f that like mm-hmm. yeah you were this guy you yeah, weren't like, like the rough guy you just like going with the flow i would do what the what the guys mm-hmm. the gang wanted me to do i would do it but yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, you would, you know, you do what you what you have to do to fit in, right? So, yeah, um, to fit in with those guys, it's violence based. You know, we have rivals; we're always looking behind their backs. You know, looking around, just like that was sort of the life we're living. So, yeah, I know. I like I said, growing up, uh, like my cousins are like that. I'm like, yo, how can how can you guys live like this? Like you're making your world so small yeah it's so true it's so true it's so not worth it but uh yeah it's still not worth it i mean it's worth it only now for me because i came out unscathed but it's definitely there's a there's such a terrible toll like all the guys who died all the guys here in jail for life mm-hmm. like it's so not not cool during those times what's happening at home like did your parents knew that you were in a gang and if they do did they you know castigate you I don't know if they knew. They never said it outright. I think they knew, but I think they lived in a form of denial. Mm. I think as immigrant parents, you know, you just, you're just kind of trying to survive at a certain level. So you kind of, um, yeah, they yell at me for certain, like, where, where were you? Like, why are you home so late? Or why do you smell like alcohol? Or why do you smell like cigarettes? You know what mm. I mean? There's like evident. Why do you look like, why do you shave your head? Why do you look like that? Or why are you wearing those clothes? Like, but they never said, "What? I, oh, you're in a gang? Or like, I know you're in a gang. You know, they never directly addressed it. It's always these micro issues that mm. they get yelled, that I got yelled at or in trouble for. Um, 
And then that's it. The issue is like resolved there, right? Like, don't, don't, if you're, don't smoke, like, that's it. Like, that's the issue right there. Like, you're smoking. That's the issue, right? Never, never that you look, you're a gang member or something, right? Mm -hmm. I guess as long you're alive and you're fine, they're fine too. Yeah. I I just think there's this level of denial, you know, it's just too much to handle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Possibly. For, for, for parents, also, yeah. it's a possibility that if they face that monster, it will look back at them and say, "Hey, you're failing your kid. He's not failing you. You're failing him." Yeah, there could be that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Who knows? You know, it's it's like, yeah. Only now, as a parent, like I can start to think back and kind of try to understand my parents now, right? But mm. I had no idea then. You know what? I had no care even to even start to try to reflect on what mm. they're going through, right? And how yeah, they're yeah. trying. To, I think they just tried their best, <laughs> you know. That's what they can do. They're trying their best. They're trying to float. You're surviving. They're surviving too. Yeah. You know, they can't even save you because they're drowning over there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But did you go to college? Even though you get in trouble, how are you? How is your school? Yeah, I did. I did. So like I said, like, so the so the benefit of moving to the suburb is um, it was a very academically like, uh, well distinguished, like school district. So hmm. um, so because my friends are so far away, I, I didn't really have friends down there. So I just made friends in the high school. And they're all like, doing well in school. So I just, <laughs> I just kind of did that with them until the weekend until i can get away and go do what i really wanted to do but you know i'm not um so i don't know i think a lot of asian kids kind of acted that way kind of um almost had a double life in a in a, in a sense you know they, they still just did well in school and then um and then kind of had their kind of criminal life on the mm-hmm. side but i did it because of, of, of proximity I, I just couldn't be in LA all the time so mm-hmm. yeah I guess I was a little bit like a chameleon like I that was my survival in Torrance in the suburb like to survive there I needed to just blend in with the kids there and just you know do well just you know just do whatever they're doing and then then I can go and do my thing mm. would you consider you were just a follower instead of just following your heart kind of situation a follower? No, I don't think I was ever a follower. I think um I think it was like like I said, survival. It was just like I'm in I'm in here for, for five days during the week. I'm I'm here in this like in, in the suburb with in this high school and everyone's just doing well. So I'll just I'll just blend in with them. I'll just plus I had no like real friends. I just kind of jumped around between different groups, like mm. trying to trying to kind of you know be relevant be important you know just not not be a loser you know what i mean so um it's, it's i guess if there's no um like culture of that where you are like the gang culture then if you dish it like they don't even know how to receive it because they don't even know what it is to understand it so there's mm. no point in trying to be like a thug and like <laughs> in like a school where everyone's academically minded and doing well, right? Like, like doing their extracurricular stuff, going to clubs so they could get into college, like thinking about all that, mm-hmm. like what are they going to do with this guy who's a thug? You know what I mean? So <laughs> for me, survival isn't 
just trying to stand out real hard is trying mm-hmm. to actually blend in as much as possible right so mm-hmm. yeah which college did you go to uh uc davis mm. I-, i went to the furthest college i could go to <laughs> away from la why oh because um I don't know. Maybe life was tough for me. I don't know. I just, I was ready for adventure. I, I wanted to, I was really all those movies like growing up in the, you know, the, uh, the eighties the and the seventies, like, you know, college was so fun. You know, it has this so American culture, college culture that, that I wanted to really live out. And I think mean, I was just looking for something new. I know I also got in trouble with my gang. So I, I actually got court checked. So you're not getting jumped out, but you're just getting jumped for messing up mm. so i got i got beat up and like that really like that really um i felt betrayed and like i, I never really understood why that happened i just uh also you know i know what they're capable of doing so i was a little bit um unsure of my relationship with the gang at this point so i had like a little bit of a escape mind at that point too um Yeah, I don't know. I was always up for adventure. And so I was like, let's let's go to college, just get out of here and start something new and and really like try out this college culture mm-hmm. thing. Did you take uh, art there in college? I went in. I wasn't very academically minded. So, you know, I barely made it into college, you know, even though, you know, I, I did decently well in, in high school and I was able to get into UC Davis. I mean, obviously, it's impossible for me to get in now. So the standards are way lower back then. So that was part of why I got in. But um, all you have to do is be an Asian. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of it. Um, have decent enough GPA, have like you know enough extracurricular and and uh, some clubs in there. And then, but uh, so I applied as an animal science major, and then um, uh, then I got kicked out because I was uh, very into like the scene the drinking partying and i i didn't you know college was a was for the experience like i said so it wasn't i wasn't there to really study that much mm. um and then i changed my major to art at that point to get back into college get back into davis over the summer so i got kicked out in the spring i took a uh, summer school classes and then appealed to the dean and then i changed my major to art and showed her some of my artwork And she let me back into the school in the fall as an art major. So, hmm. yeah. But you always wanted art. How come you didn't just go in and start with art? I didn't care about art that much, though, because I was, I was, I was more into like genre rocks and different stuff. You know, I was a teenager at that point, so yeah, I wasn't nice. really. I was still doing it. I mean, it was always part of my life, but you know, it wasn't like something that. I was motivated by, you know, so yeah. Then you graduated college. After that, uh-huh. what did you do? I worked for a pharmaceutical company. And then, uh, wait, you finished art, but you went to pharmaceutical? I only did art so I could pass college, though. <laughs> it was also a way for me to survive and, and get through college because it was easy for me. Mm. It wasn't because I was like, again, motivated by it. Um, I, you know, I barely eat through even with art. It was just natural for me. So I could apply myself very little and still pass 
Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, I was in a fraternity and I, I, some of my fraternity brothers were in a, um, working for a pharmaceutical company. So, you know, I, I applied to that company and I, I got the job and then, uh, yeah, it's my first job out of college. And how was that experience? It was great. I loved it. Yeah. We were uh, glorified warehouse workers. Everything that goes into processed food goes into drugs because it needs to be edible. Mm. And so we had huge containers of like salts and sugars and, you know, all the scientific names like the glucoses and then, uh, the sodiums. And we, we distribute it to the rest of the company so they can use it for research or to manufacture. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but it's all FDA regulated. So it's, you know, it has to be very clean, you know, because it's, it's medical. And how did you become now you're in art now? What happened there? Well, it's a long journey. I mean, uh, I did the pharmaceutical company. I was living in San Francisco. I moved to, um, and then I quit the pharmaceutical company because I was, you know, I broke up with a girlfriend that I thought I was going to marry. And then I, um, I don't know, I was having all these, uh, inner, inner like turmoil mm -hmm. I was looking at like this homeless guy on the corner. I was like, man, I'm making so much money. I live in like San Francisco, such a, like every foreign tourist, like dream city to visit, mm -hmm. like world-class city. Um, and I'm just like squandering it all. I'm just like living a life of comfort. So then this, uh, pastor in Oakland, he's like, Hey, why don't you come in? Like do this internship. And so I quit my job and I moved over there and I, I did this internship at this church. And then I, was just working in the community and working at the, like helping out this church for a while. And then I, um, then I ended up finally going to grad school mm. way later. So I graduated, um, college in maybe 2003 and I ended up going to my master's program in 2012. So almost 10 years later. <laughs> and that's, that's when I got really serious about art. Why did it make you serious this time? I think it was always brewing. I mean, I always did it in one, in one respect or another. I always like was doing paintings in my room or, but I never uh, truly, I mean, part of it could be cultural. Part of it could be like, it's embedded in my, in my psyche that there's no future in it, or it's just a hard journey to, mm. to commit to. Um, I can tell you now it's, it's still very difficult as an artist, you know, there's no, uh, there's a lot of hustle and grit involved. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not a very clean path you're still dependent on so many different people and networks and you know like rich people and money like it's it's not a it's it's so hard to do it on your own um but i think yeah definitely had like fear of committing to it and um but i always did i did small shows here and there uh i made you know i had a studio so it was definitely an important part of my life, but it, I think the commitment part I couldn't jump into. Mm. And then, um, I don't know, I was doing uh, graffiti in Oakland, like these productions, doing a lot of murals. And uh, I think I was slowly getting pulled into it more and more through different aspects. And then um, I finally decided I would, I would apply to graduate school. Mm. You mentioned murals. Let's talk about that mural because yeah. every time I see a mural, 
I always say, how do you do this? How can you draw a face on a building? Like, how? tell us the process. How do you, from the beginning, from the planning to actually painting or drawing or however you want to call it on the wall of buildings? So the actual application of the paint on the wall is the shortest part of the process. The longest part is actually um, the research involved and the time involved in prepping for mm. everything. Um, so depends on who is asking me to do the mural or who the sort of the partner is, maybe the building owner or maybe a community organization. You know, I'll meet with them. I'll meet with their people who are vested in that party kind of hear their story, kind of try to understand maybe if it's a like a homeless housing project, they have a mission. Mm. That's part of the housing, homeless um, housing project. So I want to understand that mission. And I try to get as much information as I can. Um, if it's like a neighborhood group, I'm, I'll, I'll ask them to put together uh, a meeting with the community, with the people in the neighborhood. Um, and then I'll do all my own research. I'll, I'll research the history of that neighborhood. I'll research what's currently happening in the neighborhood. If it's, I'll understand, I'll try to understand the city and everything that's happened in that city. Um, Cause I think it's very, um, for me, like there's a responsibility. It's, it's a very large piece of real estate that's permanently um, embedded into your community. And so I don't want to leave something that doesn't resonate or reflect back a part of where it lives. So for me, I take so much time doing that research. And then ultimately, you know, I have to find imagery that matches what I've sort of come, come up with in terms of a, uh, a subject matter. And then, um, and then I start to mock it up on my computer, mm. like Photoshop or like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know Photoshop. I just use whatever software that, that I can figure out very easily. And then, um, you know, then there's this whole process of going back and forth with whoever is vested. And then um, and then the mock-ups approved. And then at that point, um, the actual application is, um, you know, building a budget, gathering the materials. And then on this mock-up, you know, have you ever done this as a, as a kid or an art class where you put a grid on a photograph and then you have a piece of paper that's twice as big and you put the same grid and you can copy that photograph onto that larger paper. Mm. Uh, yeah, anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. I mean, I think what people might have difficulty doing is like, if it's a actual photograph, with like a black and white photograph, and there's like different tones of darker and lighter grays and like whites and trying to mimic that, that's where kind of a real, the real artistic skill comes in. But, but you can outline that exact image onto that larger paper. So that's the same, same concept. On a wall, um, I have my mock-up of my grid, and then I do that same grid on the wall, and then I basically outline it onto that wall. And wait, how do you do it? How do you mock it up from the paper to the wall? Yeah, so the um, so my paper has a grid, right? Okay. So, so it's four oh. squares across and and five squares down. I do the same on the wall: four squares across and five squares down. It's a oh, the two shit. inch the two inch square is like five feet each right so okay. the deep, deep, yeah yeah so that's what i'm saying so yeah on the wall you you'll make a grid yeah oh then i say okay i i don't know like 2b 
you have yeah, to exactly. throw the you nose. number and letter it and go 2B, yeah, like Battleship. And then just like, go, <laughs> oh, the corner of 2B is where the corner of the eye goes. So, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll kind of mark out, you know, it's a map. It's a map. This this thing becomes a map. So you have to figure out where you are on this wall, on this map. And you got to copy, you know, all the little details of that map onto onto this wall. And once you have it outlined, you have everything you need. To Has actually- it ever happened that you mess up like, you instead of putting the two the nose on the two B, you put it on I don't know four C. Yeah, all the time happens all the time. <laughs> but I think the more you do it, the more intuitive it becomes. So you're not paying attention so much to the squares. You're just um, you kind of you get a flow because you sort of you know people who like trackers like 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 people like who who live in Amazon they they could just take you wherever they mm. just know it. Because you know they don't they don't look at a map they just know all the markers right at that point it's very similar like once you are accustomed to that you kind of aren't paying attention so much to the markers because you kind of understand like oh okay it's going to go through like three three boxes and then and then the the nostrils right here on the third box on the bottom mm. so you kinda, yeah but yeah you do mess up all the time so what kind of paint do you use is the usual paint that I don't know you paint the house or something. Yeah, I use a lot of house paint. Yeah, but I've started incorporating. Um, a lot of people use like, uh, like acrylic paint. Nova, Nova is a very popular one, and then there's, um, golden, um, acrylic paints as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cost a lot more, but they, they last a lot longer, I guess. So, but the technology with the house paint is so far now from where it was that house paints, you know very very high high quality at this point so mm. yeah so i use a mixture of both a little bit of spray paint sometimes I'll, how long does a mural last till it start kind of fading yeah like with the new technology i don't know it could be uh decades it could be like um 25 30 years probably um mm. yeah it just depends on the um the quality of the paint you get and mm. but yeah the technology is changing all the time they're always that's that's the number one um issue right with like just even paying your house just like how long can that color last on there right so mm. they're always improving that aspect of it right mm-hmm. um so um as long as that's happening that's that's as long as you know these murals are going to last it used to only i used to only guarantee like 15 years but now i can say oh you know maybe 25 years Mm-hmm. because the technology is so much better what's your most memorable mural for you personally um let's see well i think every last one every last one i did my favorite always because i always want to outdo myself right so mm-hmm. you know every last one is i i learned something from the previous one i i figured out a new technique i you know i challenged myself a little bit more did something kind of a little bit cooler um it's a little bit bigger but um you know i might say the han mural in oakland um it's a big rooster with like a chinese character in the back and like you know a little circular scene in the corner Mm -hmm. Um, i love that one yeah yeah it's a lot of people's favorite one and i think um conceptually and just the, the visually it's it works really well it's fairly simple and really impactful um and yeah it helped like 
shift my trajectory a little bit. So what do you mean by that? Um, you know, I think I started doing more birds after I painted that one, started mm -hmm. um, incorporating more of the, the Chinese characters and just thinking about sort of um, things conceptually that way, like applying those elements into my work. So mm. um, yeah, it's something that really stuck with me for sure. Mm. Has it ever happened that you you will paint a mural on a building and then the owner of the building is like, no, 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 you're not allowed to paint anything? Yeah, all the time, all the time. Or, or I mean, more before, because now it's mostly I have, I'm working with like developers or architects or people who have, you know, full ownership of the situation. So, mm. and I'm not dealing with building owners directly. I, I almost never deal with building owners directly at this mm. point. Okay. Um, and we're working with contracts. So it never gets that point. But before, um, yeah, actually that rooster one, it was for a mural festival. And so the organizers of that festival are um, are the ones who actually are the communicate with these building owners. And so I had a different wall, actually, where I was I planned this whole thing out. And then at the last minute, the owner said, I don't want anything anymore. Oh. So then that whole thing got canceled. So, yeah, that's one example of a situation like that. But, yeah, it happens frequently. Yeah, especially for um, things that aren't so formal, like you know, where developers or contractors or architects and contracts are involved, right? Like mm -hmm. for a mural festival, it's a fairly simple agreement. So when you have a simpler agreement, they can they can just change their mind easily, like break the agreement. Mm -hmm. How long does it take for you to make a mural, an average size, like the rooster? Oh, uh, that one took like, <laughs> that one was a last minute mural. And I actually had tickets to a concert with my wife for, I think, an anniversary or something. Bro. And I was already living in LA, or we were in LA, or the concert was in LA. So I had to finish it in, I had three days to finish it. So I finished it in two and a half days, and I flew back to LA to go to the concert that night. Good man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but on average, I think my murals take about seven to 10 days. Mm. Uh, it's because if I'm traveling, I have my kids at home. So it's hard to... Uh, leave the wife with the kids especially because they're still young so our agreements seven days but she'll give me a little bit extra if they're you know if it's a extra large mural or, or i'll just break it up into different trips but um usually seven to ten days yeah what if it's raining while you're painting what do you do well mural making is all about uh figuring things out on the fly and being resourceful so if it's raining, it's still I still only have seven days to do it because I already have my plane ticket uh, on the eighth day. I got to fly home, so I have to still paint. I can't lose that day. So I build a I just buy a tarp and I, you know, roll it up on a pole and I make a tent and I I still paint in the rain. Mm. Yeah, there's now. Uh, it's still intensive, like the seven days is like you're using every ounce of that time. Mm -hmm. So um, if you. You know, you can't you can't lose a day. If you lose a day, you're, it's it's not going to happen in seven days. So you have to just work. You just, I think, as a muralist, you just start to understand that that's that's what it is. You have to figure out how to do it through whatever situation, unless it's just like a like a storm, like a hurricane, and you literally can't do it. 
Um, I mean, some lifts, when we go on lifts, there's like a wind limit. So if it's like over a certain uh, miles per hour, you can't go on the lift. So maybe something like that would prevent us from doing it. But if it's if your life is not endangered, then you you go and do it. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Do you like make like a platform or everything, anything? But I, I guess they use lift now. Yeah, we use mostly lift. It's so much easier using a lift than a than a platform. And it's safer too. <laughs> it's safer, yeah. I don't know. Well, platforms are pretty yeah, they're sketchy, but they're they're built so they, they could be safe. Yeah. Yeah, but you you know, you never know, right? Like you miss a step, down you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, exactly. It's nice to have the platform move with you, right? Like on a on a lift. Exactly. Do you have an assistant? Yeah, I frequently use assistance or like if I have like very little time, I'll hire on uh, a muralist, another professional muralist. You know, we have similar values and same skill set and similar um, visual um, ability. Like our visual, the, our product looks very similar. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's a guy I typically work with. Uh, his name's OU Public Works. His, his Instagram name is Eric Burke. So if he's if he's available, I'll usually call him. He's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, or or if he's not, I'll I'll hire him on the different professional muralist. Okay, there are some people that doesn't really like art, right? Uh huh. And some people would say like, why don't you just put money into community instead of making this mural or whatever art? Yeah. Well, let's see. There's a lot of answers to that. Um, the funding a lot of times. Um, cities force developers to to put a percentage of their uh, budget into art, so um, so that that money is already dedicated to art in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, I think um, I think you know beautifying a city is helpful to the community as well. I think um, you live and visually everything around you is grimy and not not so great. I think. Your mental health and the situation of it, um, it perpetuates more of that. So I think it's it's definitely worth it. I think um, people spend thousands of tens of thousands of dollars on billboards, and they're just trying to sell you makeup and tell you look ugly. And I think um, you know, take that money and put something beautiful that 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 presents something more positive and maybe something a little bit more justice oriented. Um, something a different message um you know it's essentially a similar thing a billboard and a mural but a bill a mural is not trying to sell you anything it's trying to reflect you back to you in a, in a way that uplifts you in a way um yeah i don't know there's so many and then i think some critics are just going to be critical <laughs> hate is gonna hate as they say yeah but but give them uh give them 10 minutes with me i can maybe uh change their mind if they hear the story if they hear what's behind it if they hear why it's happening um because it frequently happens actually um when i'm painting it people like to approach you mostly positive but there are very there's some critical people and then you know i've had people leave crying because uh i tell them the story of the mural Mm. and they're like they're touched and you know they came talking trash and then um so you know uh I think if they learn a little bit more, they may they may change their mind. Ignorance. That's what it is. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a level of ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, everyone's uh, allowed their opinions. So. Of course. Yeah. Do they get the faces? And how do you feel when that happens? Um, my murals typically don't get defaced, but they have been defaced. And um, depending on the mural, they, they bother me a little bit more. But in general, I understand that that's part of it, especially like the neighborhoods where the murals are that do get defaced. Like there's a lot of graffiti. There's a lot of uh, activity, like things happening and, hmm. you know. It's just part of the situation. So it doesn't um, typically bother me too much. I mean, mm. I can just go back if I'm around and fix it easily mm. or ask a friend to help me out or something. So um, I think, yeah, it sucks for the people in the neighborhood that they had this thing defaced that's in their community. But um, um, yeah, I think it in, in general, personal, it doesn't bother me too much. Mm. Well said. You once wrote that your art stems from the sense of loss or longing. Is that still true to this day? It is. I think I can never escape that. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of it happens or has to do with uh, being an immigrant child, being a child of immigrants. You know, I feel like a lot of my identity is tied up with this or connected to this country that's like, you know, 6,000 miles away. And, but I, I don't, I don't know that country very well. I know it through my parents. I know a certain version of it through my parents and my family. But, um, mm. so I think, you know, I, I, you know, and connected to that are my family members who I felt connected with that, that aren't any, like my grandfather who I love so much, but he doesn't, he's not living. He died when I was very young and I never got to really develop a deeper relationship because I was, I was such a kid. Like just things like that. Um, there's always a sense of loss and longing, like a little bit of regret, like wanting to do something more with that, wanting mm -hmm. to connect with this country that's far away. Um, I think I'm very motivated by that. Um, I think my family was very tight when we were younger, but now it's very dispersed. A lot of things that divorce happened, death happened, a lot of um, disagreements. So, you know, certain people aren't talking to each other. So, this thing that felt so nurturing, like I was in the center of this like warm nest of people mm. and like and like food and love and like culture, it doesn't exist anymore. And I want that. I want that back. And how can I do that now as an artist? Right. So, yeah, that's where the longing stems from. Mm. Well said, man. Love what you said there. How did fatherhood change you and your art? Fatherhood changed me um immensely i think um just like really loving these kids is is i don't know it's it's hard to describe unless you're a parent you know just like uh this this desire to do anything for another human being is is hard to hard to explain but um um yeah it's just these moments like you're looking at this this creature that that's a part of you. And it's, uh, it's like, it's moving, just looking at something and like, like, wow, you're like, you're like, you're, you're in awe. Um, but for my art, let me see, how did, how did, 
I don't. I think there's just a desire to really. Um, I really hope that they really see what I'm doing and find meaning in it. Find find the message that I'm actually trying to share with the public, the world. I hope they can grasp that at some point. They're very young now, so they won't. But, but the very least, I hope they have a desire also to like understand their their identity through their culture. Mm. Um, a lot of my work. Um, I don't know if you mentioned it's not is is based on you did earlier uh Korean Korean or Korean culture. Um and so I hope that inspires them to look deep into their culture. I, I think, you know, no judgment, but I think it's sad when like uh uh you know immigrants come over here and fully assimilate and just forget where they came from ultimately, right? I think you lose a sense of identity and you you uh yeah, you won't able to fully understand who you are ultimately without knowing that missing piece mm. so that's what i hope for that's i think that's how that's what i think about all the time as i make my work mm, well said man dude i think we're there i want to thank you for this time and your great input and answering all my mural question now <laughs> i understand it more i really do appreciate it before we close out do you have any last remarks no, just I appreciate you uh, reaching out and uh, I appreciate you taking your time to interview me and thank you all for listening and um, yeah, good luck with everything you do. Thank you, sir. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye. Take care. Thank you again, David, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.